The Gospels are full of the teachings of Jesus. He spoke to crowds about topics like the kingdom of heaven, generosity, and relationships. But some of his statements were hard to hear, and some appeared nearly impossible to apply. What do we do with these seemingly mic drop moments? Join us as we tackle these one-liner statements in our next series, Jesus Said. Uh, can we keep that going a little longer? I'm having fun. We don't, we don't always give me theme music that, that, like that. So, uh, hey, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. So good to see you guys today. Do me a favor. Help me welcome all of our first-time guests. We're so glad to have you guys with us, whether you are here in the room or online. Hope you're experiencing the presence of God, because there is nothing more important than that. Amen? You guys with me on that one? Well, hey, we are in a series we started last week, so today is just part two of it. It's called Jesus Said. And what we're doing is we're looking at some of the things that Jesus said that were honestly a little difficult to process sometimes. You know, he said a lot, so we can't begin to touch on all of them. And, uh, you know, when we read the, the Bible, maybe too often, I think we read the Bible as spectators, meaning we, we look at a story, and every now and then you have one of those stories where you say, man, I wish I was there, right? Yeah, yeah, everybody got a favorite Bible story? Like if you had a time machine, that's the first thing you'd go back and actually be right there. And, and then do you have some of those stories where you say, I'm glad I wasn't there, right? Like the time where the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and like 20,000 of his friends, and you think, wow, I'm really glad I wasn't standing next to that guy. Yeah, you guys with me? So, so here's the point of this series. I think most of the time that is exactly how we read the Bible, like that was way back then. So the idea is to take these challenging things Jesus said, because he would, he would teach for a while and, and he would be having a, a conversation with somebody or, or teaching a parable or something like that, and he would get to a place where he would just say something, kind of a mic drop moment, and he would leave a zinger right there for everybody to figure out what they're gonna do with that. Like, no, I'm not gonna make that softer. No, I'm not going to explain that anymore. I'm just going to leave it for you to decide. What are you going to do with that? And so the goal of this series is for you to take yourself back in time. Imagine yourself standing right there. And when Jesus says that really tough thing and he just leaves it hanging, I want you to imagine that he actually looks you right in the eyes and then just kind of goes, what are you going to do with that? That's the point of the series, hopefully to, to compress 2,000 years and make the words of Jesus a little more potent to us today. And so last week we started the series by saying, look, everybody loves Jesus, so this is gonna be fun, right? Y'all still agree with me, everybody loves Jesus? Yeah, then tell me this. Jesus said, everybody's gonna hate you because of me. Why did he say that? If everybody loves Jesus, then why are people gonna hate us all over Jesus' name? That, that seems a little contradictory to what we all agreed on last week. See, y'all are gonna start thinking I'm always tricking you and everything. Isn't that true? You can be like, man, I'm never agreeing with the pastor anymore because he always brings it back and I get in trouble for it. But, you know, we may think, well, of course, there are people that don't like us for Jesus' name. Like somewhere around the world, maybe in a Muslim nation where it's not safe to travel, you'd think, oh, that's probably what he's talking about. He wasn't talking about that because Muslims didn't exist at that point in time. Or you may think, oh, he's talking about if you go have lunch with one of your atheist friends and well, look, here's the reality. Both of those are true. Like if you were to travel today to a Muslim nation or if you were to have lunch with an atheist, they're probably not going to love Jesus as much as we do here in this room. Is that fair to say? But the, the problem, if we take that approach to what Jesus said, is then we think that the problem we face is either way around the world 
or way into the future. Some people think that, oh, this will come someday at the, the last days, at the end times, which we might see here in a minute we're a little closer to than you thought. And, and I don't want us to, to, re, to remove this dilemma that we have of facing up to the reality somebody's not gonna like us because of Jesus' name. Think about this. When Jesus was on the earth and people didn't like him enough to crucify him, it was his own people. It was the people closest to him. It was the Israelites, the Jews, the people of God on the earth. And so we, we can kind of think, well, it's people far, far away because I live in America. I live in the Bible Belt. Nobody is gonna hate me because of Jesus here. So today I just wanna kind of pose a simple question since we live in America in the Bible Belt, at least the majority of us who are here. I know we've got some folks online all around the world. Are you prepared to not be liked if it becomes unpopular to be a Jesus follower? Are you prepared to not be liked if the day comes that it's not popular to be a Jesus follower? And so as you hold on to that question, I want you to see the context of, of when Jesus said, everybody's not gonna like you because of me. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, don't worry, it'll be on the screen. We're in Luke chapter 21 today, and we're gonna start right at verse 10. And Jesus said to them, here's, here's what he's talking about, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Anybody looked at the news lately? Does this seem like it's really that far off? I don't know about you, but I did check the headlines this morning on a couple of different news apps. I follow some from the, the other side of the pond and other parts of the world just to kind of see the different perspective. And, and every day that I wake up, I do this as a habit, every day that I wake up, there's a nation at war against a nation. Sometimes there's nation at war against itself. There's famine somewhere in the world. There are people without homes that have been displaced because of war living in tents. There's pestilence, there's, there's earthquakes. There's every single thing that is described right here currently in our world today. Can we all agree upon that? Then check out his next sentence. But before all this, but before all this that we currently see in our world happening today, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. You see, the reality is this is going to happen even now. Matter of fact, can I just go ahead and confess, I tricked you guys earlier with that question. That was a trick question. Some of you were all writing your emails already. You were on your phones. I saw your thumbs moving and you were emailing me to complain about my question. If it becomes unpopular, if we get to that point and you were all like, Jimmy, if is not the operative word and becomes is not the correct verb tense. It's already happening. I know it's already happening. You just had to give me a minute to get to my punchline. We live in this world where Christians are already being persecuted for simply having faith as a Christian, for believing that God is God and sits upon his throne and has the right to decide certain things, for believing that the Bible is God's word and that that's okay, for believing that Jesus came and did what he did and said what he said. Christians are already being persecuted for that for the past 2,000 years, actually. It's really never ceased all around the world every day. He goes on to say, they will lay their hands on you, they will persecute you, they will deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons. And, and I just wanna bring that into relevant context for us today. At the time when Jesus was walking the earth and geographically where Jesus was, the synagogues were 
the center of the Jewish religion. It's where the Jewish rulers were. It's where they would go and they would worship according to their tradition, which of course Jesus was rocking the boat a little bit. And so the problem is that is also where you would be taken to be questioned and to be challenged if you wanted to follow that new Jesus guy. And so as you were delivered up to the synagogues and if they didn't like your answers and you continued to stand with Jesus and for Jesus, then they would put you into prison. And so today, you don't need to fear as much being taken to a synagogue, especially here in America. They are not as common. There's usually one in most every major city, but none of us lately have been taken down to one to be questioned. And so once again, though, the problem comes that we think this is far off or far into the future. You need to know that you are being delivered up to houses of religion. Matter of fact, there's a predominant religion in our world today where you and I are tried repeatedly, especially in social media and in the news and when we speak up at work or just when we go to a family reunion. The predominant religion that rules the world today is not centered upon a particular building with a sign where people gather, but it's the religion of humanism. And, and the, the tenet of this religion is that humanity is the highest form to be worshiped. Humanity is the highest form of intelligence. There's not a greater almighty out there. There's not an El Shaddai that we could be concerned with. And one of the other key tenets of this humanism is that the moral freedom and moral happiness and pleasure of humanity is what is most celebrated. And again, they don't go to individual buildings. Gosh, where did that word go? <laughs> Sounded a little like an Elmer Fudd moment, didn't it? You know, I mean, <laughs> get paid to talk. You'd think I'd be able to do that well. They don't go to individual buildings like this, but it's wherever culture gathers and ungodliness is considered the way to go. It's not a synagogue you need to fear. It's every time you walk out of these doors and into the real world around us. So he tells us this says, you'll be brought before kings and governors for my sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. So settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Here's a key that I think we missed. Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted for my name's sake. <clears throat> but all too often, we feel like we're being persecuted against ourselves. And so instead of being concerned with representing Jesus, we get focused on defending ourselves. And if you've ever wondered why, maybe the comebacks that we have aren't necessarily as good as they could be, or somehow it doesn't win the day. Jesus said your adversaries aren't going to have anything to say. Why are our adversaries got so many good comebacks? Well, it could be because we're not listening to the wisdom he put in us. We're not using the mouth that he gave us, which we'll talk more about in a minute if you'll just hold that thought. And maybe we're more focused on having people think well of us instead of helping represent Jesus in the midst of that attack. So he goes on to say, <clears throat> you're gonna be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they'll put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. I don't know about you, but that's pretty sobering. It's like a, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. Well, can we go back to those other happy sermons that you gave? 
I remember the sermon when I gave my life to Jesus, and it didn't go like that. It was more like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You can be forgiven for your sins and spend eternity in heaven. Would you like that? And we all raise our hands, and yes, I would love that. Uh, And no one ever says it this way. God loves you. The world's going to hate you. Do you want in? I've never seen someone do it that way because you usually don't get very good results. Not many people are like, pick me. Yes, please. You know, that's... That's not how that goes. But the reality is, what Jesus knew is if we stand with him, that people are not going to like us. And so what we tend to forget is exactly what Jesus just said. The first thing that he said is that we're gonna be hated. There are people that are not going to like us and there's nothing that we can do about that even though we're going to try very hard to change their mind, to make God likable. We'll talk about that in a second too. It also tells us that we're going to be turned against by the people closest to us. I got an email last week from a lady who was here for part one, and and her email was talking about how part one spoke to her. And as she was telling me that story, she reminded me of some of the details of her life, and that is how her husband left her when she became a Christian. The, The man who said, from this day forward, for better or for worse, also meant as long as you don't bring Jesus home. And suddenly her whole world was turned upside down simply because she became a Jesus follower. The person who promised to be the closest person to her until her last day left. And then Jesus also tells us, look, some of us will physically die all for the name of Jesus. I just want to explain something that he said like right after that when he said, but not a hair of your head will perish. The reality is sometimes we get confused when we see persecution in our lives, when we see people being challenged. If you ever do hear a story of someone somewhere being persecuted or even killed for faith in Jesus, you go, wait a minute, Jesus, you said not a hair of their head would perish. But we we misunderstand the context because the previous sentence said some of you will die. And, And then he says, but if you endure, you'll enter life. And we need to remember that most of the time that Jesus talked about life, His favorite phrase to use for entering life, he was talking about leaving this one on earth and going to eternal life. He's not promising that you're gonna have a perfect time on earth. What he's promising when he says that not ahead of your hair will perish is that he and the Father are not gonna let anything that matters be dropped. And, And if you stand to the end, you will enter life. Yes, some will die on earth. And I just, I just wanna say like, that's probably not us. Can we be honest about that? Again, our context here today, we're in America. The truth is we're in the Bible Belt. And so most of us are not going to wake up and fear for our lives simply because we say that we're a Jesus follower. And so can I just encourage us to do something? When you wake up, thank God for that. I mean, the Bible tells us that he chose our place. He chose our time. You do know that you didn't have to be born here and now. We should be so grateful for the life that we've been given. Another day we'll talk about how we should steward the life we've been given to do things for the people that are in other situations. But we should wake up every day and go, God, I thank you that you were so merciful to to let me be born in such a place as this at such a time as this. I mean, gratitude is amazing. But then I wanna encourage you to do one more thing. And that is to pray for those who don't wake up with that same thought. There are people around the world 
who do know that this day could be their last day because they stand for Jesus. Matter of fact, just this past week, I got a text from a friend of mine who leads a work that is working in hostile places to the name of Jesus. And on occasion, he will let us know when a new initiative is being launched and and people are moving forward. And this text that I got this past week said, please stop and pray. Today we are sending thousands. And those people are not going here. They are going somewhere that they know they may not return. And the truth is, you're never gonna see this in your mainstream media news, but there are Christians killed every single day around the globe. There are people that are physically dying for the name of Jesus. And so the least we can do is pray for them, amen? Thank God for what he's given you and then pray for their safety. Pray for the advancement of the kingdom through what they are doing. So for those of us who are here, we can say, well, we will not likely physically die simply because we stood up for Jesus, but we may be called to die in other ways. It might be over our influence. It might be over a job. I mean, some people have lost their jobs over their faith, even here in America. And it, it, it may not be where they, they look at you and go, wait a minute, do you believe in Jesus? You're fired. Because if they do it outright like that, well, chances are we've got some recourse in the court system. So it may just happen to where you gradually become shunned and gradually become pushed out. Matter of fact, we've actually seen this. If any of you are following things that happen in our culture today and you're keeping up with people who are famous, you, you know of actors and actresses who have spoken for the name of Jesus suddenly not get many more roles. You know of athletes who have stood up very strongly for the name of Jesus suddenly to have contracts not renewed or be transferred to another team to be put on a different string to eventually be overlooked. That is the reality, the way some of us will die. Matter of fact, we've got some global outreach partners here from Grace Life that are working on the other side of the planet and uh, in a Muslim context. And when I was last talking with him just a little while ago, he was sharing with me the story of someone he had told about Jesus. And the, the exciting news is that this young man wanted to enter the kingdom of God. He wanted to become a Jesus follower. Come on, that's amazing, isn't it? The problem is that it cost him something. He was in his last semester in college and he was on a full scholarship. And as soon as he professed faith in Jesus, he lost that. He'll never be able to get back into college as a Jesus follower. His family shunned him. So he's now all alone except for his new followers in Jesus as family. And he has no career prospects in a world where pretty tough to make a living in that situation. Matter of fact, over the past decade or so, many of us have kind of changed our terminology. We've started saying things like, well, I'm a Jesus follower, instead of saying that I'm a Christian. Because when you say it, you're, you're a Christian here in America, it's not always liked. Y'all do know that, right? I mean, we're here in the Bible Belt again, and we pretty much assume everybody's a Christian around us. But There are places in America you can go that if you tell someone you're a Christian, you might be the only one on the street. If you tell someone at work you're a Christian, they're gonna think you're weird because Christians are in the minority. I've got friends of mine who pastor in some of those places and they tell me the stories of what it's been like over the last year through COVID and and everything else that they've experienced when being a church is very unpopular and being a Christian is very unpopular and Well, so there are reasons that we sometimes don't like saying I'm a Christian out loud. And then again, if you do travel halfway around the world and you use the term Christian, the first thought they have is history. 
And they, they see you simply as a descendant of the Crusaders. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way. I didn't realize that until I was traveling and someone said, no, no, don't use that word. It's really hard to tell someone about the love of Jesus when they think you're a descendant of the people who killed half of their people. It doesn't go over very well. And so actually I love this idea of using the idea, I'm a Jesus follower. And I think it should challenge us, especially over this series, because if you're a Jesus follower, it means you do what he did, you say what he said, you act like him. And so these statements that we're gonna be looking at throughout the series of Jesus said, if you're a Jesus follower, you actually have to wrestle with them. Like in part one, we started with Jesus saying, go and do this, and it was the one thing that that man couldn't do. If you're a Jesus follower, you have to answer, what is the go and do this? And then after today, you have to answer, what are you going to do when people don't like you? I love this idea of kind of being challenged. It should challenge us the same if we say we're a Christian because we think the term Christian simply means somebody who believes in God and goes to church, but I hope here at Grace Life you guys know better, right? Because you'll depress me if you don't. I talk about it all the time. There's much more to saying you're a Christian than believing in God and hoping you're going to heaven. Matter of fact, the whole word Christian means little Christ. It means that we should be a Jesus follower. We, we should represent Jesus Christ and, and talk like him and look like him and do the things he did and be a representative of him upon the earth. But if we're a Jesus follower, then we have to answer the question, what are we gonna do when we're hated for the name of Jesus? Well, there's, there's two things that we need to just go ahead and, and face the reality of before we leave the room today. The first one, as we've been saying all along, you're not gonna be liked. Jesus used the word you're gonna be hated by some. And if you stand with Jesus, it simply means that at some point you will find yourself not in the cool kids club. Is anybody here okay with not being in the cool kids club today for Jesus? Anybody? You know why you can say that and raise your hand? Because you're in the not cool kids club with everybody else in the room. <laughs> We're at church. Everybody in here is equally cool or equally not cool, whichever way you wanna look at it. The real question is would you raise your hand tomorrow morning at work? Will you raise your hand in a few weeks, students, when you go back to school? You see, that's when it's gonna get a little bit harder. And, and matter of fact, speaking of school, does anybody remember middle school? I know you've probably tried to block it out. You and your therapist have done a lot of work over the, the years of middle school. I mean, they're kind of tormenting. I taught middle school for a while. I was tormented as a teacher. I'm like, I don't even wanna be here. No wonder the kids don't wanna be here. And I had a classroom across the hallway from the bathrooms, which meant I was supposed to be the first one to break up every fight. There are middle schoolers bigger than me, just for the record. <laughs> and they're not even the ones I'm scared of. It was the girls. Y'all ever watched girls fight? Let me tell you something. Don't get in the middle of that. That's just, that's the principal's job. <laughs> they don't pay me enough as a teacher. To, anyway, back to my point. Here, here's my opinion of, of middle school. They, they should, especially eighth grade, because that's the culmination of middle school, therefore the worst part of it. I think that eighth grade, the very first day, there should just be buses lined up in front of the school. Every eighth grader, you put them on a bus. You take them off to a place that only has sheriff's deputies and drill sergeants. You bring them back a year later. That's the way that should be done, right? <laughs> because we all remember middle school. It was horrible. You were picked on. If you were popular today and in the cool kids club, guess what? Tomorrow comes and now suddenly you're shunned and anybody seen the movie Mean Girls? I mean, that's the reality. That's where we live. Now, here's the thing. As funny as that is, and we all laugh about it. Have you ever thought about those influential years of your life and being picked on, being picked last, being left out? being made fun of, 
Have you ever thought about how those years have left a scar? And how the truth is most every one of us goes through life now saying, I don't ever wanna feel that way again. If you wake up every day saying, I'm totally good with myself and I don't care what anybody in this world thinks of me, you're in the extreme minority. You're also probably a narcissist, but we won't get into that today. <laughs> because the rest of us are actually scarred by the kind of events where we felt left out. And we've decided we don't ever wanna go there again. We don't want to be the person that's not invited to the party. And have you ever wondered, how does that affect your faith? How does it affect your ability to stand up for God? I don't think sometimes that we're able to connect those two dots but it does affect us. And matter of fact, we decide in order to be liked, we need to make God likable. Because I, I can't say that I don't believe in God if I get cornered. And I can't say that I don't go to church if I get cornered. What I have to do is to say that I like a God who you would like also. And so every generation has been doing this for thousands of years. Every generation comes up with a way to make God more culturally relevant, and more likable. Our current move that we see in the world today is labeled as progressive Christianity. Young people, you're very familiar with it. I would encourage you to realize it is nothing new under the sun. It's what every generation has done. It's tried to say, well, wait a minute, you know what? There are things in here I don't like either, so it's okay if you don't like them. Look, how about Leviticus? We don't like it either. We don't even talk about it at church. Pastors never preach out of Leviticus. Let's just pretend it's not there. How about that? We'll all be happy together. And we do whatever we can to say, here's the important thing, God really does love you. Oh, don't worry about all that stuff back here. Look over here where Jesus says things. Oh, but there's a few things Jesus said let's not talk about just yet. We try to make God more likable. Here's the important thing I need you to know today. Jesus never tried to make God culturally likable. Jesus never tried to accommodate the sinfulness of man at the expense of the holiness of God. Matter of fact, he did just the opposite. He said, I came to fulfill every word of this, not to erase one of them. The stuff in here you don't like too bad. I'm actually this stuff in the flesh. I'm the word made flesh. I came to fulfill it. If there's something in there you don't like, then chances are there's something in me you're not gonna like. And actually, that's the reality Jesus knew. Jesus knew that when people finally figured out who he really was and what he really stood for, he knew somebody was not gonna like him enough to kill him. And that means that if his followers do what he did and stand for what he stood for, that they're not gonna be liked either. And as he says, even to the point of death. That's what he knew all along. The second thing that we need to know if we're gonna be a Jesus follower in this world is that it's gonna change, at least it needs to change, how we see people around us, especially the people that Jesus was talking about. How do you treat the people who hate you because of your faith? Typically, you have two extremes. One extreme is the person who says, I'm right because God is on my side. I'm going to heaven, so I don't really care about you or what you think. That's your problem, not mine. I know all the truth. That's called being a jerk. There are other words, but we're in church, so we'll stick with jerk. The other extreme is, 
I want to fit in. I don't want to go back to middle school. I really don't want to lose my job. I'm afraid to stand up because I know then I'll stand out. That's called being lame. And I don't say that to insult you. I say that to describe. Follow this because this is really important. The word lame means an inability to walk because of a limb that is not working, either due to injury or something else. Well, Jesus is the head of his body. We're the body of Christ upon the earth. If we're afraid to stand up for Jesus, then we become pretty ineffective, and that, therefore, is lame by definition. And I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, well, that was okay, a little lame at times, but that'll do. (laughs) What do we want to hear? You know what Jesus told us about this? He said it earlier. I read it kind of quickly because I didn't want you to get focused on it until now. He said, this will be your opportunity. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. The idea of bearing witness means to give legal testimony on the record to what you have experienced personally what you have seen to be true, what you know to be true. And what that means is when we're in a situation, when we're not being liked because of our faith, when the world around us is not going to a church to proclaim El Shaddai is great, but is staying within its own culture to claim that humanity is great. When we live in that place, then Jesus says, this is your opportunity. And it means that we cannot remain silent. We cannot be the person who's afraid to stand up and therefore stand out. Matter of fact, how many of you know the famous quote that says, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing? You ever heard that? Familiar with it? Wouldn't it be fair for us to say to ourselves then, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for Jesus' followers to remain silent? I think it's a fair translation. And the second thing means we don't get to be a jerk. And I know some of you say, well, Jimmy, you know, Jesus overturned the tables and the temple. Yeah. That's another sermon for another day. Jesus only treated arrogant religious people that way. Let's be careful not to be one of them. Let's not be a jerk. The reality is, You may have thought today's message, the mic drop moment, the the what Jesus said was, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. And that's not it. When you go and track down the title to this message online, you'll see that the mic drop moment I want us to talk about today is this. This is your opportunity. This is what we've been left here for. This is what we've been put here for. This is what we were created for. This is what it's all about. What are you going to do when we're being hated? What are we going to do when the world is falling apart, when nation is against nation, nation is against itself, everybody is against everybody? There's famine, even though in other parts of the world there's gluttony. What what are we going to do when we wake up and we read the news that you and I wake up to every single day? Are we going to complain about the world? Are we going to scream? Are we going to cry? God, get me out of here. Can I share with you the context of when Jesus said this? What we read earlier, when Jesus says, you need to know you're gonna be hated by all for my name's sake, but don't worry. 
Jesus. This is your opportunity. He said this on Tuesday of what we call Holy Week. Holy Week is the week before he was crucified. Holy Week is marked by his entrance into Jerusalem on the back of a colt that had never been ridden on as they put palm branches all down the street on Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday. It's the one before Easter. And then we come back seven days later and we celebrate that Jesus has risen from the tomb. Let's back up. Two days before Easter, on Friday, he was crucified. Let's back up three more days. And Jesus is telling his disciples, very well knowing that he only has about 48 hours of freedom left upon the earth. And he's looking at them and saying, things are about to get bad. Don't think it's thousands of years off. Don't think it's far away. People are gonna turn against you. Matter of fact, in about 72 hours, you're going to see and hear some of the very same people that you passed out fish and bread to when we fed the 5,000. You guys remember that? Wasn't that a great day? Well, some of those people will be shouting, crucify him. In just about 72 hours. You remember when I asked you who I was and you said, well, you're the son of God. You're the Christ. You're going to be really confused because in just three days, I will be dead, nailed to a cross dying the most horrific death humanity has ever created. And, and you're going to be inclined to think, wait a minute, God, it was all wrong. I was confused. I followed the wrong one. I, I think everything I've ever believed is somehow wrong. God, you're losing. Satan's winning. What is happening to this world around me? And Jesus wanted it to be very clear. When that moment comes, don't freak out. Don't try to get out. Because this is your opportunity. I can see him smiling when he says it. This is your opportunity. I came to die on that cross. And I put you here to stand up when standing out hurts. This is going to be your opportunity. It's the world around you. And the way that you're going to stay strong, I want to bring you back to one more thing that he said. He said, I will give you a mouth and I'll give you wisdom. Ephesians explains this is the Holy Spirit. It says that when we believe in Jesus as the Son of God, we are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Here's the point. Given that this is the world we live in today, you and I need to wake up every day and say, God, fill me anew with your spirit today. God, help me to speak for you. God, give me courage because the truth is there are times I don't want to go back to middle school. There are times I want to be the cool kid. I want the promotion. And I may not have any of that if I stand for you. So God, I need you to give me courage today. I, I need you to help me. I've, I've been trying to figure out how to, to avoid all this and, 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 and how to, to, to change everything to, to where it's a perfect utopia. And I'm just now discovering you put me here because it's just the opposite. See, here's the truth. This world around us is very broken and God does want to change it through you. This is your opportunity. 
Not everybody's going to like it. And you're going to have to decide right now, are you going to complain about the world or are you going to change the world? Because this is your opportunity. Let me pray for us. God, we need you. We know we need you. More than ever, we say, God, we need you. Standing up for you in a world that statistically puts us in the minority is hard. God, trying to tell the world around us that there is a God that is worthy of praise and glory and he gets to make decisions about our moral choices. It's a very unpopular message. So God, today we ask you, would you give us strength? Would you remind us that you desire to speak through us? We don't have to figure out what wonderful words to come up with. We just need to let you speak when the moment comes. God, would you cause us to look at everything that's happening around us? Not as something to fear, but as our greatest opportunity ever. And God, today we say thank you that you brought us to such a place as this and such a time as this to make you famous on the earth. Thank you. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. 2,000 years ago, yes, he came and he said many things. He also did something very important. He lived a perfect life. And then he died for you. So that when his blood was shed, it would pay the penalty for all of our own imperfections. We call it sin. His death paid for our sins. His resurrection grants us eternal life. If today you would like to count yourself among Jesus followers by knowing that you are forgiven, you are loved, you are embraced by God in heaven, and that you have an eternal future and hope. Then today, simply make an exchange of the life you've been living with you as king in your own kingdom for the one that Jesus earned for you on the cross with him as king in his kingdom. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that wherever you are. Simply pray. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. Thank you that I'm forgiven. My simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody.